Hey, Jesus Time family, welcome back to Jesus Time, where we get to talk about everything that Jesus tells us in our times with Him. And you guys, we have had a really fun motherhood series. Fun for me because I've gotten to talk with and learn about how my sisters in Christ as moms connect with Jesus, know Jesus, cling to Jesus, and it has blessed my life. I hope it has blessed your lives. And for our last series episode, um, I had a different plan (laughs) than what we're doing today, but the Lord, I think, really directed me in this direction. (laughs) I had just given a teaching this past weekend uh, to a group of young adults, uh, well, young people and young adults, about imposter syndrome. And while I had plans to wrap up this series in a different way, it became very clear that this was something the Lord wanted me to talk about on the podcast. So after I gave this um, teaching, the seminar teaching to these young people about imposter syndrome, and just so we are on the same page, I will define imposter syndrome for you. It is the condition of feeling anxious and not experiencing success internally, despite being high performing in external and objective ways. This condition often results in people feeling like a fraud or a phony and doubting their abilities. And I gave this teaching in the context of young people entering into new seasons of their life, whether middle school to high school, high school to college, college to career, because it is in these transition stages when you tend to be a high achieving person that you feel this imposter syndrome. You feel like you're in this position and you have this success, but you really shouldn't have it because if they knew, oh my goodness. And then after I gave this teaching, a very sharp young woman asked me, hey, do you feel this imposter syndrome in other roles? What do you mean? I asked and she's like, well, like as a mom. And I was like, what? She's like, yeah, like, do you ever feel this as a mom? Like the feeling of uh, being inadequate and being a phony and a fraud and being found out is not as competent as you think. And I was like, I don't, and I, she really stunned me. I did not expect this question from young people. And I thought for a minute and I looked at her, I was like, you know, I, I don't know if I would call that imposter syndrome. I would just call that being a mom <laughs> because that, that was the feeling of my entire motherhood, especially those early years. And then, um, Last night, I got to spend time with, gosh, three of the most godly, wonderful women in my life. We were part of this leadership community and that the topic of imposter syndrome came up. And my goodness, they, they, they felt it. They, they all proclaimed it like, yep, 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 that's me. And I thought, what? What, these are women that I admire, that are accomplished, that are, uh, you know, some, a couple were moms, one's a mom to be, and, and they're amazing moms. Like I look at them and I think, my goodness, I wish I was at that place when I was at their season of life with their kids, but they felt it. And so I thought, Lord, okay, okay. 
there is something about being a mom that really exposes this insecurity in who we are and we really really feel it and so I thought okay Lord let's <laughs> let's talk about it Jesus and I and today what I want to do on this podcast is I'm going to share what I shared to those young adults but I want us to apply this to our mothering and I think it applies in any context because you guys the thing about imposter syndrome at least for me is that it does not matter how many tasks we achieve how many awards we win how many uh successes uh, you know in in parenting or whatever we have in life our our anxiety and fear of being a fraud does not go away in fact with every success we achieve we feel more anxious because we feel more like a fraud oh man i have just achieved this thing or i've uh, attained this goal or wow my kids have achieved achieved this level of behavior or training or or academics uh, with every success, we feel more like a fraud because it's it's one more layer, one more weight on us that we feel pressed up against that inner insecurity. And so we feel that more. And then when we fail, not if guys, but when we fail, then we take that as incontrovertible evidence of who we are. Look at that. Look at the behavior of my kids. Look at that fail test. Look at this task that I dropped the ball on. That is clearly who I am. And then our shame increases exponentially. It is a cycle that is horrible. And it it just, it's inescapable. It's inescapable. And those internal symptoms of insecurity and anxiety are overwhelming. And then what does that look like externally? Well, it looks like doing more and more so we can cover up that insecurity, so we can escape from it, so we can distract ourselves from it. Um, And so we do more and more. I remember there was a season in my life when I was homeschooling my four young children, hosting different Bible studies in my house. So I had to clean and cook. Uh, I was still involved in ministry in other ways. I was doing my Mary Kay business. And then I still felt like I was doing not enough. So I thought I got this like part-time job as an undercover uh, tester for this fair housing unit at the local legal aid where I would (laughs) go to apartment complexes, pose as someone who was going to rent a unit and then investigate to see if there were any discriminatory practices. And then I would write a report and I would uh, turn that into the legal aid office. And sure enough, we found some bias and my report led to a class action suit against this one housing unit. And uh, yeah, that was pretty cool. But it didn't matter because it felt like nothing. It felt like, yeah, that's no big deal. So we do more and more is an external symptom. And then we also, We shrug off any accolades. Wow, good job. Okay, you're not saying that. You don't really know who I am, so I'm not gonna receive that. I might say thank you on the outside, or I might even 
uh, just tell you that you're dead wrong and <laughs> I, we, we can't receive that. Those are the external symptoms. And so for me, oh my goodness, as a mom, I, I felt this. I felt like a phony. And, the, and it's so weird because, because I was clearly a mom. I had given birth to children. I was a mom. That, that was my role. But I did not feel like a good mom. I never did. I felt like, and especially as a Christian mom and maybe like as a pastor's wife, you know, you kind of feel the, the pressure, which I never thought I did. But looking back, I was like, oh yeah, yeah, there it was. There was this really, really high bar and that bar was perfection. <laughs> and I could never reach it. I could never even come close. And what's worse, what's worse, you guys, is that I, I knew that my kids felt it. My, my kids were the, were the victims of my imposter syndrome because even as I was homeschooling, I remember I would, you know, do, follow the curriculum, do the best, try to personalize it to their, to their individual personalities and, and, and cognitive levels. Um, but I also, in my mind, puts that perfection bar on them and they would take a test and if they got a B I'm like okay it's okay we can take it again because you had to get that A and I remember putting on to them the pressure of yes you have to succeed you have to be amazing hey you know what I know that you are good at math so you're going to be an engineer so yeah let's focus on that this child was not even in middle school and that's the pressure I put because of my imposter syndrome, because of my own insecurity. Ugh. And consequently, this child was stressed out. I had to repent uh, of my idol and apologize to them, but, but they still felt that. They still felt that pressure because of my insecurity. And you guys, this is nothing new. This is nothing new. God shows us in the scriptures an example, an example of a king who had this imposter syndrome and wrecked his life and wrecked his people and wrecked his nation, kinda. Because God's in control, so you can't ever fully wreck anything, praise God. So what I did for this teaching and what I'll share in this podcast is I'm gonna contrast the two kings, one who had imposter syndrome and one who didn't. And those two kings are Saul and David. And you guys, if you got, you know, you probably know about them. And I'm not going to share their whole stories because that's a lot, right? It's the, pretty much it's the entirety of the book of 1 Samuel. So maybe if you have time or if you one day want to just sit down and read through it at your own pace over the course of a month, yeah, do that. And through the lens of this imposter syndrome and, and what it does and the contrast. So Samuel was the last judge of Israel and God told him, hey, my people want a king. So here we go. That's not what I want for them, but I'm going to tell you who it is. So through Samuel, God anoints this random guy, Saul, who stood head and shoulders above the rest. Literally, he was described as being very handsome. Think Superman, Henry Cavill, right? This huge guy, very handsome. He looked like a king. And yet when Samuel anointed him, his response was like, mm, but... I'm like from the smallest tribe and the smallest clan. Are you sure? Like we see his insecurity. No big deal. It happens. But then we 
we see it more and more throughout his life. When Samuel was going to do the big reveal to the nation of Israel, he was calling everyone together. And when Saul was called on to be presented, he was hiding among the baggage. Wow, he was insecure. He did not believe this title that was given to him. And then further, or uh, uh, when people were like praising him and being like, long live the king and all this. Uh, in Samuel, 1 Samuel 10, 26, it said that some scoundrels said, quote, how can this fellow save us? They despised him and brought him no gifts, but Saul kept silent. Ooh, okay. So we have everyone else saying long live the king. We had people whose hearts God had touched supporting Saul. But these voices, these outside voices were saying the opposite and criticizing Saul. And I think because of his imposter syndrome, he kept silent. He kept silent. Maybe we don't know for sure at this point, but as we go on, it's so evident. First Samuel 13, 11 and 12, we see that instead of waiting for Samuel to offer the sacrifice as was the right thing to do before this battle, Saul saw his men freaking out and leaving and scattering. So he felt compelled to offer the sacrifice. And when Samuel came, he's like, what have you done? Saul was like, well, the men were leaving, so I felt compelled to offer the sacrifice. Wow, he saw men leaving and he felt like he had to offer the sacrifice. So the symptoms of imposter syndrome, insecurity, led to fear of man. And we see this fear of man come to a head in uh, chapter 15, verse 17. I'm sorry, verse uh, 24. And the setup of this is God had told Samuel, who told Saul, hey, you got to go fight the Amalekites and kill them all destroy men, women, and children. Don't leave even the cattle or the animals alive. But Saul did not do that. He kept the king alive of the Amalekites and his men, his troops, kept the best of the cattle. And when Samuel heard the sound of goats and sheep, he comes up to Saul and confronts him. What have you done? Why, why do I hear animals? And then Saul said to Samuel, this is verse 24 of chapter 15 in 1 Samuel. I have sinned. I have violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the men and so I gave into them. He was afraid of the men. Guys, when we have our imposter syndrome, when we have that deep insecurity, it will lead to fear of men and it will wreck us. It did not just derail Saul, it disqualified him. It disqualified him from the thing God had called him to do. But now we contrast King David. King David was also anointed by Samuel, chosen by God, random guy, also handsome, not, not big like, like uh, Saul, right? So don't think Henry Cavill, think like Tom Holland, like Spider-Man, like still super cute, but kind of little and young. And so he was a shepherd. That's what he did when he was called, watching sheep and goats. But he was called by God, anointed by Samuel, 
and he was king. And we don't really see anything change right away because uh, I think God is wise in how the transitions of power happen. <laughs> so, so he's anointed king, but he is not um, acting as king for a while. And the first place that we see David jump into the action is when Goliath was taunting the armies of Israel. Saul, ironically, did not volunteer to fight Goliath. He and his army just sat there for 40 days while Goliath taunted them. The Philistines were taunting the armies of God and nobody stepped up. Not Saul, the chosen king of Israel, and not any other soldier in Saul's army. So when David comes on the scene, he is coming just to bring lunch to his brothers who were soldiers. And when he sees Goliath and hears Goliath taunting the armies of the living God, he's like, who is this guy who's taunting God? Let me at him. (laughs) He comes onto the scene confident. Guys, he did not have to psych himself up to be confident. He did not have to... uh, to change his thinking and no, he came on the scene already confident. Guys, Saul came on the scene insecure. David came on the scene confident. And what's more, he was confident in who he was, who he was. And we know this because uh, when Saul, King Saul, who did have some early victories as a warrior, told David, hey, David, uh, you're not ready, but here, try my armor. That, that'll help. David said to him, um, no, I'm sorry, but I am not comfortable in this. I am not used to this. This is not who I am. I cannot go in these. And he took them off. And we find that in 1 Samuel chapter 17, starting in verse 38. He got his, the weapons that he was used to, a sling and some stones, and then he defeated Goliath. Man, he did not for a second think he had to be anyone else. Where does that confidence come from? Where does that confidence come from? Contrasted to the insecurity, both were anointed by God, both were handsome, both were uh, anointed by Samuel, like, Like they had the same job description, guys, but they had very, very different internal worlds. What was the difference? What was the difference? The difference was one knew of God and one knew God. That was the difference. That was the difference. Oh, and you know, it's hard because we can fall into that. At any point, King Saul could have repented. He could have said, wow, I'm looking at David and I'm seeing some good qualities. I'm seeing some successes. I'm seeing, but no, no. The center of Saul's universe was self. The center of David's universe was God. And when Saul saw the difference, when Saul saw someone, saw David who God was giving victory to who someone who loved God and knew God and 
and was being used by God, Saul did not repent. Saul did not say, ooh, maybe I should come off the throne of my heart. He did not choose to repent. He chose to double down on self and it drove him insane. It drove him to be jealous of David. It drove him to be angry and vindictive and it drove him to want to kill David because he was so insecure and so, well, the imposter became the identity. That's what happened. That's what happened. The center of David's universe was God. And while Saul thought about himself the entire time, oh, this is not really who I am, or oh my gosh, the men are leaving, oh my gosh, um, wait, David, they're saying that David has killed tens of thousands, but I've only killed thousands. Uh, he thought about himself all the time. David thought about God all the time. Even when he came on the scene and confronted Goliath, who are you to taunt the armies of the living God? It is the Lord who will deliver you into my hands. It is the Lord who helped me fight the bear and the lion when I was watching the sheep. And it's the Lord who's going to deliver you into my hands. The center of David's universe was always, always, always God. And, and this is what's so cool. And this is what we're going to get into in terms of the meat and what I think has been helpful to combat this imposter syndrome because none of us want that guys i don't want that but i battle that all the time still still every new endeavor that comes up every position that i i find myself in every task that i find myself accomplishing i have that imposter syndrome oh my gosh i can't do this why am i doing this someone else needs to step up this is terrible i'm gonna suck everyone's gonna see who i am my friend my husband's gonna get fired as pastor because his wife is a loser like all the thoughts go through my head all the thoughts go through my head but we have the scriptures and we have the holy spirit who leads us into all truth and the holy spirit who unites the word of god with faith in our hearts and it is the holy spirit who transforms us David loved the Lord his God with all his mind, heart, soul, and strength. And that is how he knew God. It was the knowing that brought the loving. And it was the loving that helped him know God better. And guys, knowing is not an academic word. It is not, oh, I know this guy. It is an intimate, relational word. When Adam knew Eve in the garden, we know what that means. <laughs> intimacy, not just, oh, I know who that lady is over there. We get to see in the scriptures, not only the outward knowing and loving God by David's actions in first and second Samuel, we get to see David's internal world and how he loved God with his mind and heart and soul. And we get to see that in the Psalms. The Psalms are these honest, raw words and emotions that David prayed to God in complete vulnerability and brokenness and honesty and faith and fears and joy and beauty and struggle. And they are the words supernaturally given to David through the Holy Spirit to pray back to God. And so when we read these Psalms that are prayers and songs, 
These are the words that God gave us to help us pray honestly and with vulnerability back to God. So we're going to read one of those Psalms of David and we are going to make observations and and connect that to the deepest place of our insecurities so that we can go from being insecure to confident. Okay, Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advanced against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. These are just verses one through three. Guys, David was confident, even though a war broke out around him and an army came against him. How about he knew God so intimately and he knew that God was so big that even an army seemed small. Even war seemed small. Man, how did he get there? Well, verse one, the Lord is my light and my salvation. He's my stronghold. Okay, David calls God his light and his salvation and his stronghold. How did he know God that way? I think that knowing started in the field with the sheep and the goats when he was young. I wonder if, I wonder if when David is watching the sheep as a young boy at night by himself, if he ever got scared. I bet he did. And I wonder if lying down, looking up at the sky, maybe feeling afraid and alone, he started praying and he started saying, God, I'm kind of scared. I'm supposed to watch these sheep, but who's watching me? And I wonder if in that moment, he noticed the stars in the sky that God created. And I wonder if David saw those lights in the sky and felt comforted because in that moment, God became real to him as his light. From that moment on, David knew God as his light. And now he can say, the Lord is my light. That meant something to David. That meant comfort and presence and security. And the Lord is his salvation. I wonder if when the bear and the lion came to attack the sheep, I wonder if David was afraid. I am sure that he was at least the first time and maybe the second and third. That's horrifying, guys. That's horrifying. But I wonder if in that moment, David prayed and was honest with God and said, God, I'm really scared. Help, help. And I wonder if in that moment, God met David in that place and supernaturally strengthened David and gave David the strength to defeat the lion and the bear. And from that moment on, David knew God as his salvation. You guys, you guys, knowing God comes from being vulnerable with God, honest with God, and receiving God's comfort. And then we know God as 
as the thing we needed in that moment. And then we carry that with us. And David carried that with him. The Lord is my light and my salvation. All right, let's keep reading. Verses four through six. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. You guys, in this section, we see the purity of David's motives. He said in verse four, one thing I ask from the Lord one thing. Guys, what is our one thing? I know that when I was a young mom, <laughs> one my one thing was, Lord, if you can just let my baby sleep through the night, God, I just want that one thing. And I was so desperate for that one thing. Or as a homeschooling mom, Lord, one thing. If you just do one thing for me and let them do one assignment without complaining, that would be great. That, that would be great. There were a lot of one things in my mothering and in my life. David's one thing was to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life. His one thing was God's presence. And because of that, he could look confidently to the future. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Wow, guys, God will use hard things in our lives to root out the idols in our lives so that our one thing is the Lord because that is a desire he will always satisfy completely. Guys, I'm challenged by this. I'm challenged by this. Let's read on in verse seven through nine. Hear my voice when I call, Lord, be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You've been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God, my savior. Okay, this is, I think, where David gets vulnerable and where we see his fear and insecurity. Verse nine, don't hide your face from me. Don't turn your servant away. Don't reject me or forsake me forever. Guys, this feeling is a feeling of desperation. When we do not feel God, do not believe God, do not sense God, cannot hear from God, when our insecurities, our imposter syndrome, our circumstances are bigger than God. That's this moment. And we are desperate. And I think about the panic and posture of this. I think about it in a when we're on the phone with a dear friend and we're talking to them and we are just longing to hear about their situation and sharing with them our situation, all of a sudden we go through a tunnel or we go through a dead zone and we can't hear them anymore. We can't even hear static and we get desperate and we start moving around and we go here, there, we go outside. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Okay, multiply that desperation by a thousand. And I feel like that's what it's like when we are praying and we don't feel God. When we lose that connection, guys, it happens. It happens to us. It happened to David, the man after God's own heart. So what do we do in that moment? What do we do in that place? 
we persist, we are, again, honest and vulnerable, and we stay desperate in God's presence before God until he meets us there. Verse 10, through the end of the psalm. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Wow, that sounds like God met him. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in the straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes or false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. In the presence of God, the Holy Spirit met David in the place of vulnerable, authentic, raw, humble prayers. And David regained his confidence. This is not something we can hype ourselves up up to believe. We can definitely memorize scripture. We can definitely pray. We can definitely make space for God. We can do the spiritual disciplines. But those spiritual disciplines are not God. Those spiritual disciplines are the space for God to come in and transform us. For David, it was a supernatural work that the Holy Spirit did to regain his genuine confidence. That is supernatural confidence that supernaturally was given to him by God. What does that mean for us? How do we regain that confidence instead of insecurity? How do we put off imposter syndrome and put on God confidence? Ugh, guys, it's we're going to mess up. I mess up even this weekend driving to this teaching that I had prepared for this seminar. And for whatever reason, I was especially panicked and anxious and felt like an imposter. And my husband was so sweet on the drive to the, to the seminar, which was in Orlando. He was trying to encourage me and I, and it just couldn't go in. It couldn't go in. And it felt more and more, I felt more and more like an imposter. (laughs) And I just was like, honey, can, can I just pray? I just need to pray. And I prayed and I prayed honestly and I wept. I mean, I ugly, ugly cried in the car out loud. And I wept to the Lord and I told him, I said, God, I feel like an imposter. I feel so embarrassed. I feel so much shame. I feel like this is not who I am. And I felt the Holy Spirit in my weeping. It's like, well, what do you want? What do you want? And I was like, Lord, I... I want, I want your glory. I want your glory. And, and I felt him purifying my motives because I didn't have my one thing. I, I wanted to do a good job. I wanted to be esteemed. I wanted to be asked back to do another seminar. That was self. I had to confess and surrender that. And then I had to, to really repent and, and be about God (laughs) and put him at the center and still weeping. I said, yes, God, I want your glory. I want your fame. I want your renown. I want the people who listen to this message to know you better. I want to change the world and I want no one to know my name. 
and I still feel like a fraud and an imposter and I still feel insecure, but I do want that. And I was quiet and I was still crying. And guys, I kid you not, in that moment of quiet, after pouring my heart out, after being honest and vulnerable to God, I felt a shift in my spirit. I felt a shift in my emotions. I felt a strength and peace and a confidence that was foreign to me, but was now present in me. And it was the Lord. I did not, I did not muster that up. No external force created that. It was the Lord who did that. I still, I was still nervous. I was still feeling insecure, but it was, it was no longer my identity. It was no longer my identity. And guys, when, when we process our insecurities and our fears and our shame with God, he transforms us. That whole giving beauty for ashes thing is real. And it's real in the deepest and most intimate of places. David, David practiced that. And we can practice that as we pray vulnerably, as we even maybe pray through the Psalms. And we can give our time, ourselves time and space to ugly cry <laughs> and be really, really honest. God is not surprised by our ugliness. God welcomes that. He desires that. Man, and when we can when we can be like David and not like Saul in our times with God, we won't be imposters. We will be children of God through and through. Oh, guys, I hope that you are encouraged and I hope that you are most encouraged to seek God in your Jesus times, to pray honestly and vulnerably, to experience his transforming power in your lives, uh, to be honest and vulnerable with him and with your brothers and sisters. And guys, as we wrap up this series, we are also wrapping up uh, season three of Jesus time. And we'll be taking a break so that we can uh, enjoy God and be filled by God and during the weeks where we are not podcasting, I hope that you can still really connect with Jesus. If you wanted to hear the full teaching, uh, I did record it on a voice memo, so I can send that to you. Uh, if not, that's fine. But guys, I love you so much. And uh, until we connect again, God bless.